Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. I pray you are doing well this morning. We had a great Easter service last week, and I'm so glad to see so many faces that I saw for the first time last week here again today. I'm very, very glad that you're here. For those of you in Cedar Rapids, I'm so glad that you're joining us as well. In fact, this week, Cedar Rapids, I was uh, praying for you, and just I felt like the Holy Spirit just put something in my spirit for Cedar Rapids, that God is... God is, uh, is preparing you for a great harvest up there in Cedar Rapids, so we just are believing God for you on that. Amen? Hey, uh, today we kick off a brand new series uh, entitled Knowing God. That's the name of the series, and it's a three-week series out of the book of Job, and so it's, it's a three-week series, so if it's Job, it's going to be a very high-level view of Job. We're just going to basically... We're going to like fly over Job and say, hi, Job. <laughs> That's kind of how we're going to do it. But uh, it's, it's looking at the book of Job, and here's what we're going to discover out of the book of Job. Some of the worst that you could even imagine happened to Job, right? And, and yet, at the end, the conclusion of Job is that he got to see God more clearly, that he got to know God more intimately, and my prayer for us as a church is as we, as we fly over Job and we see what Job has to teach us, that we too will know God more intimately and see God more clearly. That's really a prayer. Now today, it's going to become more of a laying a foundation. We're going to talk about how God is who he is and he's in control. And sometimes we don't always feel that way. But before I dive into Job, have you ever heard of this app you can get it on your phone. You can get it on an iPad as well. It's called Pocket God. It's a, this is sort of the image. Anybody heard of Pocket God? Yeah, I, I like I, I I've been afraid to download it. I wasn't sure if it was sacrilegious to download it, you know. But I've been interested, so I'm reading through it, you know. And the idea of Pocket God is that you get to play the part of God. Okay, like you get to play God in this game on your phone. And the way it's advertised is that what kind of God would you be? Oh, man, that's dangerous. <laughs> what kind of God would you be? And so in this particular game, you play the part of God, and there's this island, island of primitive people that, that you kind of control, right? And so you have the ability to, say, for example, move the sun closer to the island and when you do that, they all burn up. They burst out in flames, you know. Or, or you can move the sun further away from the island and they all freeze to death, you know. Or you could be, be angry and just flick one off the island and the sharks eat them. <laughs> it's, just, it's a terrible game, actually. Um, you could shake it, you know, and it, there, it simulates an earthquake. And so they're going through this earthquake, you know. And, and so the idea is that you're playing the part of God. The idea is that you are in control. Right? Now, I know that this is just an app, and I know it's just a game. It's probably harmless um, in, in many ways, but it does kind of bring to the forefront some questions that we may be asking ourselves, actually, about God. Right? Like, we might be asking questions, and, and, and we don't ask them out loud because we're a little bit embarrassed to ask these questions out loud. Like, God, are you really in control? 
Are you really in control? Or maybe secondary question to that is, God, do you really care? I know these are questions that we ask. We don't say them out loud, but we do ask it, right? And so, God, if you're, if you're really in control, then, then, or if you're not really in control, then maybe I should just go ahead and live my life and do whatever I want to do with my life. I mean, I'm on this island. I might as well just do whatever I want to do, and, if, and you're not in control. But if you really are in control, then, then do you really care? Because obviously what I'm going through, it seems like you're not even aware of it. It seems like, it seems like you, 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 you're, you're either powerless to do anything about what's going on in my life, or you are powerful, but you don't really care. Either way, it leaves us feeling pretty discouraged. And so this past year, we've uh, kind of gone through a pandemic. Anybody remember the pandemic? <laughs> yeah, we've gone through a pandemic. And it's been a crazy political year as well. And then here locally, we, we experienced a natural disaster, the Rachel storm that affected us in a very serious way. But up in Cedar Rapids, it affected them in a very significant way. There's been racial tensions that we've been going through and all of this. And I know that some people are asking God through all of this stuff, God, are you really in control? God, are you really in control? Like your confidence has been shaken. You're not sure if God is in control. And I know that some people, well, they ask this question and, and it's, it's not really a question for them. It's more of an accusation because of their own personal experiences with God and how they feel whether, about whether God is in control or not. I think for most of us, we ask this question and we ask it very sincerely. Like we want God to be in control. We really hope that he's in control, but we look at what's going on in our lives, and we're just not sure. We're just not sure. It, it's, it, the circumstances we're going through feel very difficult, and we're not sure if God is actually really in control. So we're going to look at Job. Job is going to ask these questions. God, are you in control? God, do you care? He's going to ask those questions, <clears throat> right? But when we meet Job at first, in chapter 1, Job is like, he's living He's living his best life. I would call it the, he's living the American dream PCV. Okay, that's what, let's label it that way. The American dream PCV. The American dream pre-coronavirus. <laughs> that's what Job is. I mean, he is blessed. He is blessed. Life is comfortable. Kids are healthy. Business is booming. Everything is great. I mean, it is fantastic for Job. And then a servant comes along and says, hey, Job, I've got bad news. All your herds and all your servants, they've been killed. They're gone. I mean, this is a blow, and this is, you know, there was no insurance back in, insurance companies back in those days. There was no PPP loan that we can, you know, we can borrow from and be able to, you know, help us out. And so Job wakes up that morning, and he is blessed. He is thanking God for his life. And the next thing you know, by the time he goes to bed that night, I mean, it is the worst you can even imagine for him. And so he goes to bed that night, and then thinking probably can't get any worse than this, and another servant shows up, and he says, Job, I hate to tell you this, but the other day your, your kids, all your kids were at your eldest son's house, and a storm hit, and the house collapsed, all your children are gone and all your grandchildren are gone. And I mean, this is a blow. 
He's lost everything. The loss is unfathomable. But listen to his response in Job chapter 1, verse 20. This is right after all this stuff happens. He says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. So let me just be very clear about something here. Um, we're not supposed to pretend like suffering doesn't hurt. We're not supposed to act like, oh, it's no big deal. I lost all my kids. He's grieving. Job stood up and tore his robes in grief, his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. Shaving his head is a sign of, of remorse and grief. He fell to the ground, and what, did he, what does he do? He worships. He worships God. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't shake his fist at God. He just worships God. And then this is how, this is how he worships God. He says, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord gave me all my children. The Lord gave me all my wealth. The Lord gave me all of my possessions. The Lord gave that to me. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And so in this moment of loss and grief, he still worshiped. He still acknowledges that God is in control, that God is powerful, that God is sovereign, and, that, and so he puts his faith in God. I know this is kind of hard to hear. You wonder, how can anybody do this? But yet, he was so certain of his relationship with God that he worships God even in his worst disaster of life. And, but then things get worse for Job. He begins to fear, experience physical pain and suffering, and he's got people around him that are not that encouraging. <laughs> he's got some buddies around him and say, hey, Job, uh, this is your fault. <laughs> I don't know what you've done to get God mad at you, but this is all your fault. Even his wife, even his wife says to something, you know, like, you know, Job, I don't know what you've done, but, but God has turned his back on you. You might as well just curse God and die. And so Job is not just, it's not just that he lost his possessions, not just that he lost his children. He's also experiencing physical pain and suffering. And this is like being prolonged. It's, it's continuing on. And at some point, Job begins to ask his question. He still keeps his faith, but he starts asking some questions to God. God, do you really care? God, are you really, really in control? God, do you really care about what's going on in my life right now? Because it doesn't feel like it feels like you've abandoned me. There's a NASA image. It's called, um, the, anybody ever seen this image yet? It's, it's called the pale blue dot. Um, this little dot right here is actually Earth. It's taken from spacecraft Voyager at 3.7 billion miles away. It's on the edge of our galaxy. Looks back and takes this image, and there's like this ray of light, and it takes the image, and that's Earth right there in that little dot. So it looks like a speck of dust. And that's Earth, and Earth looks like a speck of dust, and you and I are like a speck of dust on a speck of dust floating through space. And if that's us, it's easy then to conclude that maybe, maybe God... It's got other things to think about than your mortgage being paid. Maybe God, you know, I mean, with all this happening in the universe, maybe he doesn't really, I mean, 
Does, you might ask, does he really know about my marriage struggles that sort of surfaced during this pandemic? Does he know about my loneliness? During this pandemic, we had to go to uh, online schooling and start having, you know, parents suddenly had to be at home with their kids, teaching their kids, and, and some parents probably learned that their kids had a learning disability. And it's really, really hard to teach children at home. I mean, if we're just a speck of dust floating through space, does God even know, does he even care about all of this? Does he really care? I think this past year has revealed to us that we are more vulnerable than we think we ever thought we would be. More fragile than we ever care to believe about ourselves. And I think we too are asking these questions. God, do you really care about the cancer Do you care about my unemployment? Do you care about child abuse? Do you care about rejection? Do you care about my loneliness? So Job starts asking God these questions, right? Then in chapter 38, like I said, we're just doing a real high overview. Chapter 38, he asks all these questions of God, and then suddenly God stops and speaks to Job. Now, what you would think is if Job is asking questions of God, you would think in our mindset of who God is, we'd think, well, maybe God's now going to answer all of Job's questions, right? That God's going to say, well, Job, yeah, I really do care. Let me tell you how I care. Job, yeah, I really am in control. Let me tell you how I'm in control. But that's not what he does. Instead, God decides to ask Job some questions, And I think we need to wrestle with some of these questions because I think these questions give us perspective about God. And then moving forward, next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that perspective coming down to earth. But I think we need to wrestle with some of these questions. In Job 38, verse 2, it says, Who is this? This is God asking Job a question. Who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Like Job, who is this that pretends to know what he doesn't really know? Who is this who pretends to understand what he really does not understand? And then in verse 3, this is a scary verse. If, you ever have, if God ever speaks to you this way, verse 3 says, brace yourself like a man. If God, said, if God says to you, brace yourself like a man, it's going to hurt. Whatever it is, that's going to hurt. I don't know what that meant exactly, but it's going to hurt. Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Job, I'm going to ask you some questions. And he enters into this series of questions that he begins to ask Job. He says, Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Because I don't remember remember seeing you there. Job, do you know how much water the oceans require? I know. Job, do you know how much snowfall there's going to be this, this year? I'm sure you can probably guess some number, but... I know you don't. Job, are you powerful enough to move constellations? Do you know how light travels? This is what what God is asking Job. And so God asks these questions, and here's what what becomes really, really clear through the book of Job. is what Job is trying to teach us, is that God knows what we don't. God sees and understands what we cannot. 
And so when we look at the universe, God's asking these questions about the universe. When we look at the universe all the, and all of its details and intricacies, it doesn't indict God. It doesn't say that God is indifferent or apathetic or unconcerned or out of control. What it reveals is a God that's very much in control. That's really what God wants to speak to us this morning is that God is in control. Because I think a lot of us walk through our Christian walk not sure whether God really is in control. And so what I, I want to illustrate a little bit. Um, I want you to imagine like this heavenly control room like this. Like, like, like up in heaven, there's a control room where God has basically, to sustain life here on earth, has basically very precisely set all these dials and buttons and he, there's all these gauges and they're set exactly how they need to be set. So you and I, let's just practice this right now. Let's just, everybody do this. Take a big deep of air, breath of air, right? So you and I can do that. Okay, I know that we take it for granted, but there's a lot of science behind the ability of, for you and I to actually breathe air right now, for me to be able to stand. And so there's this control room, and all of these things are set precisely, all these dials are set precisely, these gauges are precise. And God invites you into his control room, and the last thing you want to do is trip and accidentally knock, a, knock one of the knobs off or push a button because, I mean, it could be damaging here, here on earth, right? It's, this, it could be disastrous. Now, all of this, all of these dials here and all of these things that are set, they cannot, it's not possible for it to be set by, by you know, just accident, like your ability to breathe, right? It cannot just simply be by accident. In fact, there's been a lot of scientists who've researched this, researched this, and all the different intricacies that sustains life and our human body, the makeup of our human. I could just go on and on and on. There's been a lot of scientists who've researched, and they've come up with this factor. They say that the odds of this just happening by accident is one to ten, and I can't even say the number, ten with 53 zeros behind it. That the odds are greater that if I, there's a bullseye, say a trillion miles away, and I put a blindfold on, I take an arrow and I shoot up in the air, that the odds are greater for that arrow to hit that bullseye a trillion miles away than it is for all of this stuff just to have happened by accident. This is often called what, what's called in theological circles a teleological argument for the existence of God. That it's an argument from design, that design demands a designer. And so the same way you wouldn't just sit in a car. Like last night I was watching, uh, I like the Mecham, Mecham uh, auctions, you know, where they auction cars off. <laughs> uh, I like that show. And I, per, per, I, for the most part, I like because I like old cars, you know, and especially cars that have been resto mods, what they call them. And so a 1965 GTO, which is one of my favorites, a 1965 GTO crosses the, crosses the line there. And it's, been a, it's a resto mod. It's got all... Fancy brakes all the way around, new paint, everything is, everything's just amazing, you know. It's precise. It would be kind of, you, you would think I'm kind of crazy if I sat in that car and I looked at all of the detail of the car. And I, when I touched the body and I looked, opened up the hood and I saw this amazing 600 horsepower engine in there and the wheels look spotless, you know. It would be crazy for me to sit in that car and say, man, all this stuff just appeared. It just happened. 
It's like taking my children to Mount Rushmore and then standing there in front of Mount Rushmore and looking up at the four presidents up there and saying, wow, what a coincidence that there would be four presidents on the side of this mountain. How, how likely is that? Right? Even my kids who would see it, probably the very first question out of their mouth would be, who did that? Who did that, Dad? Who carved those faces out of that mountain? Design demands a designer. And so as we look at the universe and its infinite complexity, we have to conclude that this all points to a designer. And so what does that mean for you and I? It means that in moments like this when you've been going through struggle and difficulty and challenge, and I don't pretend to know what you've gone through in the past year, I don't pretend to know how difficult it has been for you. I don't pretend to know how difficult the racial tensions have been or how difficult the political season has been. I don't know. I know what I've gone through, and I know that some of you have gone through some things as well. What this all points to, the teleological army, what it all points to is that there's a God very much in control. His hand is on the dial. We can be confident of that. That his hand is on the dial. He's in control. So here's a few examples of how God's in control. I want you to think, for example, of the distance of the earth in relationship to the sun. Okay, so like if the earth is exactly like 93 million miles, something like that. Um, there's more, it's more precise than that. But it, so if, if the earth was just simply 5% closer to the sun, we would, suffer, we would suffer the fate of Venus. It would be 900 degrees here on this earth and we would all die. If it was 10% further away from the sun, we would all freeze to death. That's just the distance of the earth. That's one of the dials, one of the buttons on that great control room, right? Think about gravity. If we didn't have gravity, we would cease to exist. Think about the moon. If the moon, you know, the moon is like the perfect size and the perfect distance from the earth. If the moon was just simply, and it, you know, the moon, if, I don't know if you know this, but the moon helps us with our tide and all that kind of stuff, you know, and day and night and all that. <clears throat> if the moon was just like one-fifth closer to the earth, just one-fifth closer to the earth, we would suffer, here on earth, we would suffer these massive tidal waves that would hit us twice a day, and all of, all of the earth would just pretty much be covered in water, just that the moon was just one-fifth closer to the earth. And then think about the dial, the, the atmosphere dial. The atmosphere is like this protective blanket that surrounds the earth, and it's made up of these gases, nitrogen, oxygen, and carbon dioxide. And it's like a perfect blend of, the, of these gases. If these gases were just slightly off, the mixture was just slightly off, we would suffer this horrible greenhouse effect. If it was slightly off in another direction, then we would be bombarded by cosmic radiation. And there's all kinds of dials like that in this heavenly control room that God has set precisely to sustain life here on earth, right? And I know some people might say, well, okay, Rich, okay, yeah. It's unlikely that this all stuff, this, all this stuff just happened by accident. It's unlikely, but like the lottery, you know, it's one in 10 million that somebody would win the lottery. Like the lottery, it's unlikely, but somebody always does win. I'll give you that, but let's compare apples to apples then, right? So yes, somebody does win the lottery. If somebody wins the lottery this month and then next month wins the lottery, we'd say, whoa, that dude is lucky. It would be all over the news, right? 
If that person then wins the lottery, say, five days in a row in a week, you'd be like, okay, something's going on here. <laughs> There's something fishy about this guy winning the lottery five days in a row. If that person won the lottery 200 times in a row, we would step back and say, this is not coincidental. This is not by accident. Something is happening. And this is exactly the same numbers that we're talking about. I want to talk about God having all things in control. Now, I'm sure that by now you're thinking, man, Rich is a geek. To, uh, not all things, but some things. <laughs> like, I've, I, I like space movies, you know, astronaut movies. My favorite is The Martian. I like that one a lot, you know. Um, but, uh, but here's one last thing I wanted to share, share with you about that kind of a conclusion. Dr. Werner, Werner von Braun, who is a father of rocket science, this is what he said, okay? This is a guy who helped us get to the moon. As I became exposed, <clears throat> as I became exposed to the law and order of the universe... I was literally humbled by its unerring perfection. There's a physicist who, who is incredibly br brilliant. A rocket scientist, incredibly brilliant. He is humbled. He is humbled by the perfection of the universe. I became convinced that there must be a divine intent behind it all. And then he goes on to say, my experience with science led me to God. We don't believe that science and our relationship with Christ are contradictory. We believe they work in harmony. We believe God's the creator of it all. And Dr. Werner von Braun says, my experience with science led me to God. And then listen to this. He says, but must we really light a candle to see the sun? Like, isn't it obvious he's saying? Like, really, do you, you see the sun out there? Let me light this candle so I can see the sun better. Do you really need to do that? That's what he said. This is, it's obvious. In fact, look how King David says it in Psalm 19. He says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. And so if you go out this week and you look up into the sky and hopefully it's a clear night and you see stars and you see the vastness of the sky and you see the moon and for us it's just a normal looking up into the night sky but you need to understand something whether you hear it or not you need to understand that God is shouting. He's shouting to us a message that he's present, that he is real, that he's in control and things might be spinning out of control in your life but you need to understand something. God has his hand on the dial. He's absolutely in control. You know, I think our problem, though, is more, not so much that is God in control or not. I think we can ascend to that, most of us. I think most of us can say, yeah, we know that God's in control. The thing that we struggle with is that we don't like what he's doing. <laughs> we, 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 we would rather have our hand on the dial. In fact, I think that to be honest with you, we all, we as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, oftentimes, the way we, our relationship with God, oftentimes is like this. God is moving the dial, and we like slap God's hand away. Let me, let me take, I, I want to do this. That's what we do. Because we want to control it. And we work hard at controlling our lives and creating this environment, this atmosphere around our lives. that's like, it's predictable, it's controllable. But you've got to understand something, that it's God who is in control of the dial. We would do things differently. 
here's what we're going to discover about God as we get to know him today. And then next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about his care and his knowledge. <clears throat> we worship a God that is so much bigger than we are. He knows what we do not know. He sees what we cannot see. And if he were to just like give us a little glimpse, just a little glimpse of his, of his master plan, a glimpse, not the whole master plan, just a glimpse of his master we would not even be able to comprehend it. We would not be able to comprehend just a fraction of God's master plan for the universe. And there's something very, very special, very, very unique about worshiping a God like that, a God that big. He's in control. So my prayer for us during these kind of very strange days that we're living in. How many of you would admit that these are some strange days that we're living in? They are. They're difficult. And I'm not here to try to tell you, hey, they're not difficult. What's wrong with you? That's not what I'm here to say. They are strange. They're difficult. They're challenging. They've, they've defied some of the structures that we have set in place for our lives and we're like upset about that. They've challenged some of the values that we've had. I mean, we, I can go on and on about the different ways in these, that these are challenging days. But what I hope and my prayer is for all of us is that we would finally realize that we're not the ones in control. That it's God who is in control. You're not in control. And you never were. And my prayer is that you would realize that. And in realizing that, that you would actually see God more clearly. This is what happens with Job at the end of his story in Job chapter 42, this was said we're kind of doing a very, very high view of Job right now. At the end of his story in Job chapter 42, after he's asked all these questions of God, and then after God returned a whole bunch of other questions, here's what happened. Job gains perspective. He understands, man, God, you are so much bigger. I can't even barely comprehend who you really are. And then this is how he responds in verse 5 of chapter 42. He said, God... My ears had heard of you before all of this, before all this suffering, before all this difficulty, before all this, before the racial tensions, before the, before, you know, the, the pandemic struck, before that derecho storm. My, my ears had heard of you. I had heard of you. I knew about you. But now my eyes have seen you. That's what he says. Now I see you. I see your master plan. I see that you're working. See, something happened to Job. His world fell apart, and he went from hearing about God to seeing God. He went from knowing about God to actually knowing God, and it changed his relationship with God. And that's my prayer for all of us today. And in the midst of all that we've been going through, you would go from knowing about God to knowing God. From, you know, hearing about God out there to actually seeing God. There was a time in history where <clears throat> it felt like it felt like God was out of control. As Jesus was hanging on that cross, his body bleeding out, his disciples who had followed him had really believed that this, this is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to come and rescue us. This is the one who's going to set us free. This is the one who's going to establish the kingdom of God. And they just knew that through this Messiah, this was going to happen. But now he's on a cross. He's bleeding out. And it felt to these disciples that God's not in control. 
And so these disciples, they're, they're in pain, they're struggling, they're hurting. And, um, you know, they're, they're crying. Eyes are filled with tears. And I think sometimes, sometimes we see God more clearly through our tears. I think that that's what's happening here in this last year for us. I think that God is trying to reveal himself to us through our challenges, through our difficulties. He's trying to show himself strong to us. So Jesus hangs on the cross and the message is clear. You see, they thought that God's plans had been canceled. They thought that God's plans and purposes had been derailed because of the cross. But what was actually happening is God's long-term plan was being made known. While they were thinking that we've lost all hope, God was saying, I am providing salvation for the entire world from now to the rest of eternity. Sometimes... I think we are in this place where we don't see clearly because we only see myopically. We only see up close my life. And God wants to reveal himself to us, see him more clearly. Some of you, you've experienced loss, maybe not to the extent that Job has, but you've experienced loss. Feels like at least, you know. And what I think is gonna happen is that, Job's, that God's gonna reveal himself to you See, Job began to worship God. He saw God more clearly, and that's, that's my prayer for us. Like, if you're here right now, and you're questioning, why is this happening? Why am I struggling with my kids at home, and they're, and, they're, and they're learning? Why are we going through this? Why does this pandemic just seem to be on and on and on? Why, 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 why? I might be asking those questions. What God wants to say to you, listen, I understand. You want answers for those questions, but here's where you need to land. I am in control. My hand is on the dial. And if that's where you are, here's what happens. Through the midst of the chaos, through the midst of the difficulty, we actually see God. And so if that's where we are, if that's who you are, I think the very th best thing that we can do is just have this simple prayer, God, I need you. I've been trying to control it, God. I thought maybe, maybe if I've just voted the right way last year, I would, everything would be great. But it didn't work. Maybe if it just, you know, we just done this differently or that differently when it comes to the pandemic, then maybe things would not be, would be a whole lot better. Still didn't work. And we learned a lesson. We are not in control. It's God who's in control. And in a scenario like that, the best thing that you and I can do is simply say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you to step into my life. I humble myself and recognize that I'm not the one who's with a hand on the dial. It's you and you alone. Amen? Let's all stand. We're going to pray. Cedar Rapids, will you join us as well in prayer as we, as we close out? <clears throat> Father, there are individuals in this room in Cedar Rapids in, that, in, that, in the double tree right now that have a lot of questions. Questions about their employment, questions about their financial world, questions about their, their relationships with their spouse or their loved ones. 
questions about the welfare of their children. God, there are so many questions. And sometimes we want answers for all of those. And God, it's good. Every once in a while you do bless us. You give us insight. You, you help us to see more clearly some things. But Father, we want to confess as a body that we are not God. We're not pocket gods who think we can manage and control our lives and do it our way and that's it. We are your children. And in the same way that you sent your son to the cross, it seems like, why? Why would you do that? But because of that, we stand here today worshiping you. Because of that, we have a relationship with you, Heavenly Father, we can pray and you hear us. Not only do you hear us, but you answer us. So Father, right now, we humble ourselves and we acknowledge that we don't know everything, but you do. We don't see everything, but you do. We want to pretend like we're in control. We know that we're not, but God, you are, you are definitely in control. Your hand is on the dial and you are our heavenly Father. You love us. You love us. You love us. Thank you, Father, for revealing who you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.